You know, if we were to do a little brainstorm about what are the most famous passages of the Bible, the biggies, the ones you may not know every line and verse, but when you hear them, when you hear their name, you're like, yep, that's one of the big ones. In fact, let's do a little audience participation, our own little brainstorm. Shout out what you would put on the short list of the most famous scriptures in this book. Hold on, I got to, what's that? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What is it? Psalm what? Psalm 139. Do I hear a Psalm 23? All right. Not that 139, I mean, that's a good one too. Any others? Romans 12.2. We just saw that on the screen. You're going to hear it again in just a second. Huh? Genesis 1. How about the Ten Commandments? How about... The Sermon on the Mount. How about the Beatitudes? Would you put those on that list? You know, one of the things that I've come to absolutely love is when the words of this book, the Bible, when I get some fresh learning, when I discover something, when the light bulbs go off in my head and all of a sudden something begins to grow in me. Um... It's like this complicated compilation of things that I should know and should say all of a sudden become alive and active. And something begins to take root in me, and it begins impacting how I think, my decisions, my behaviors, my attitudes. I I just love when that happens. Have you ever had moments like that? Yeah. I hope even in the series that we're journeying into, the Beatitudes... We're calling it the Attitudes. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the first 12 verses. I I hope light bulbs go off for you in these weeks to come. Let me set the scene for us, if I may, of Jesus and the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this famous passage of Scripture, and why we're going to spend the time we are looking at it. You see, in the time of Jesus, there were huge divides in the culture. There were huge divides between the rich and the poor, those who had power and a voice and decision-making ability, and those who were marginalized, who were insignificant, who were just in the way and told to be quiet. There was all kinds of issues with status in their culture. There were racial issues. Politically, it was an absolute mess. Anger had been bubbling up for a long, long time, and people were wanting to see some major changes in power. Does any of that sound familiar? You know, if you were just to do a cursory look at our culture right now, and I can be a little bit of an Eeyore, right? I call that being a realist. But if you just look around and observe, I think what you're going to find is the dominant part of our culture is very combative and divided. Public discourse and even our news channels, they have disintegrated into shouting matches They over-sensationalize things and they prey on the fear of the people. Social media provides a platform where upset and angry people can just take their shots, their posts, their pictures to injure or tear other people down and they never have to look them in the eye. No accountability. Political parties are as angry as ever with each other, disagreeing on just about everything while we have communities desperately needing Leaders to rise up and work for the common good. Today, families are harried. They're fragmented. They're 
going a million miles an hour and even isolated from each other and their homes like never before. The gift of presence seems to be vanishing. We're experiencing record levels of isolation and loneliness, even though we're more connected, connected than ever. Depression in America right now has surpassed the level of depression that they recorded back in the Great Depression. It's amazing. Violence has erupted in our schools and workplaces, and even just a cursory glance at all this, it can make you feel helpless. Uh, Certainly it can make you ask questions of um, just being so anxious and frustrated with everything. And we're left to ask, can God redeem anything of this mess? And I think the answer is yes. He can, because that's what he's in the business of. In the midst of the first century turmoil that Jesus found himself in, which doesn't seem so different than maybe our time today, Jesus preached a message of a new kingdom and a new way of life in that kingdom. And in the opening words of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus is challenging the status quo and he sends shockwaves through the culture. Shockwaves. And we're still talking about it today. And I would propose to you that maybe more than ever, we need a fresh shockwave of Jesus and his teaching on the kingdom and the life that he is proposing more than ever. The Beatitudes will be our focus. And this morning, I would like to do two things. One, I want to kind of frame in, put it in context, and share some of the contours of who Jesus is, what he's saying, why he's saying it, how he's doing it. Because if you can understand that, we will get into the Beatitudes, but if you can understand all that's happening around Jesus and what he's doing and how he's doing it, Scripture begins to open up to you. As you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, as you understand the early church, light bulbs are going to go off in your mind if you can remember the things I'm going to share with you about Jesus and what he's doing and why he's doing it. It's going to kind of be like a slideshow. Remember the old slideshows? You know, know, the thing gets stuck. I'm going to give you slides, snapshots of different angles at the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is doing. And then we're going to look at the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So to lead us into this, I want us to first just hear the words of Scripture. And I've invited one of our great servant leaders, Sophie Moran, to come up. And she's going to read to us from the Gospel of Matthew and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That looks a little low, does it not? How's that? Good? Good? Thank you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sophie, thank you so much. 
That's the word of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. First thing I want to do, the first slide that we're going to look at is um, what the Sermon on the Mount actually consists of. You may know it as kind of chapters 5 through 7, 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, except when Scripture was written, they didn't have these nice title headings all through the chapters. There were no verses numbered. There were no chapters. It just flowed. It was like one long letter. And then if you would read the Scriptures without all of the stuff added in, what you find is there's actually a bookend to the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts in chapter 4. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's the beginning. And then if you flip several chapters, six, seven, eight, nine, what you find is this phrase. It says, then Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven and healing every disease and sickness. Does that sound familiar? Those are the bookends to the Sermon on the Mount. And so what you have then in chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we've customarily called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He said, this is what it's like in the kingdom of God. And he, and he kind of has these collections of teachings that we call the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about the kingdom. This is how it is. This is how it works. This is what I'm calling you to do. And then the next two chapters, 8 and 9, Jesus goes out and does it. He actually lives into those very words that he said. He proclaimed it, talked about it, and then he went and healed the sick and the diseases. He backed up with power. That which which he was calling people to do, he was representing the kingdom. And then you come to the close of that scripture, and then in chapter 10, the very next verse, or right before that, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. This begins the next section in the gospel, and this is what Jesus said. He called his 12 disciples to him. And gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then if you skip down, he said, as you go, he's sending them out. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely as you have received from me, Jesus says, freely go and give it to others. You see, Jesus proclaimed it. He taught it. He did it, and then he called those around him to say, now I want you to go do the same. This is your mission. That is the sermon on the Mount, friends. And this is this consumed Jesus' life, this message of the kingdom. <clears throat> Next slide. When you open up to the very beginning of what Sophie read us in chapter 5, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, sat down, he called his disciples to them, and he began to teach. I'm going to test your Bible memory. Do you remember another story way a long time ago at the beginning of your Bible of a guy who went up on a mountain? God taught some things and he came down from the mountain with some teaching, with some ways that people and nation were supposed to live under God's rule. Do you remember that guy's name? Moses. And what did he come down with? The Ten Commandments. Now you would never catch this probably. I never caught it until just a few years ago. 
Jesus going up on the mountainside was a very significant movement. Okay, he is taking on the life of Moses, and in fact, he's saying, I'm even greater than Moses. And whose job was it to give the teachings for the people of Israel at that time? God. God was the one that gave Moses the teaching, and Jesus sits down and begins to do what? Teach. Now, what is Jesus saying even now about himself? Not only am I greater than Moses, but perhaps I'm even God in the flesh. Because I'm proclaiming that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come, and I'm going to teach you how to live in it. You see, no one gets tagged to be taken out, to be sniped, to be killed, because you walk around saying, you know, you should be nicer to each other. You know, let's have good attitudes. Let's encourage each other, build each other up. People like that don't get marked for death. What Jesus was doing was sending a shockwave. Because he says, I am greater than what you have believed. And in fact, I'm bringing in something new. And I'm the very words of God speaking into this new kingdom. And that got people's attention. And they wanted to kill him for it. um, Because that was blasphemy. That Jesus was making, Jesus had some pretty bold game. That's how I would say it. And people took notice. And then he began to teach. He began with these beatitudes, these Blessings And what he was doing, and I think how you've probably learned this over the years, we're, going to do a, we're either going to fill it in or bring some course corrections, because what Jesus was doing was jaw-dropping. He wasn't giving a list of things we should do. What Jesus was doing is saying, this is who is in my kingdom, and by implication, this is who is not. And if you were sitting up on that hillside and you were hearing Jesus talk about these folks are in, these folks are in, these folks are in, What question would you have been asking yourself, perhaps? Am I one of them? Am I in? Is he talking about me? Um, And some others very clearly knew that Jesus wasn't talking about them, even though they were the ones that were the most confident that they were in the kingdom. And it bothered them greatly. And I think people are still asking that same question today. Am I I okay? Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Uh, I think so. I hope so. We, we hear that all the time. Perhaps you still wrestle with that question. Friends, I want you to know that Jesus wants you to be confident. And as we go through this series and we sit and learn to follow him, you can have great confidence that you are one of those in the kingdom. And hopefully this series will either bring you there, give you that confidence, or for the first time you're like, I never knew God would include me on his list. Next slide. We need to understand what this word blessing, blessed are those, blessed, blessed. What does that word mean? I can tell you it is not a happy face emoji or maybe a winking happy face emoji or the little smiley face with the halo around the head. That is not what Jesus is talking about. And it certainly isn't in the, the, in the, the main thread that what's um, trending right now with the hashtag blessed. Did anyone post anything? Hashtag blessed. 89 million people this last week posted something hashtag blessed. And some of them were, you know, these powerful images of the cross and other things. But one of my favorites, Tracy uh, Bianchi showed me this. There was a woman holding in her hand this little gift, but it was wrapped in gold wrapping paper. And she said, hashtag blessed. I can tell you what Jesus is talking about with this list is not having a golden wrapped little trinket in your hand. It's not a smiley face emoji. What he's talking about is something much, much deeper. 
And what he's talking about is that the free availability of God's grace and his righteousness is available to those who would follow Jesus into his kingdom, into the rule of God. And it didn't matter of your circumstance. It didn't matter of your status. In fact, it was the less thans, it was the outcast. So many people on this list did not count. And Jesus said, you're in. You have been seeking this. And now the kingdom has found you. And for the first time, they realized not just that they mattered, but that they were in the kingdom that was being pushed away from them. When it comes to being blessed or the blessed, it really are those whose God's grace has come to them and that they've been able to receive by faith. And I want to give kind of like three pieces to what this word blessed means because it's important. You'll see why it's not a a hashtag blessed or happy face emoji. The first is that blessings had everything to do with God and they weren't earned by people. The blessings and the curses you read throughout the Old Testament, God was the one that would bring the blessing. It's all on him. And the second piece is that is that blessings always had this forward-leaning um, idea behind them. They, it might have been blessing for the moment or now, but there was even more to come. It was something that you leaned into. That there was hope an expectation tied to the blessings, to being blessed. And the third thing is that the blessings were tied to relationships. Tied to relationships. It was not just about God alone, but it was the relationships with others. And even the relationship with yourself that encompassed community and interaction were always involved with the blessings. And so here's what the blessings are not. Okay, this is the other side of the coin. Next slide. Uh, the blessings, is not, it's not a happy list. It's not happy to be poor. It's not happy to be persecuted. It's not happy to be so many things on that list. And, and some translations actually translate that. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the, you know. And I would say if you, if that, if you have that translation, don't throw it away. It's still the Bible. Or if you have a study note that says this, because a lot of the study notes in the Bibles have this. Uh, I went to school. I got lots of pieces of paper on my wall, so I feel like I've got the ability to say this. Cross out the word happy and write the word blessed. Because happy in our day and in our culture, um, it is this shallow, obsessive world that has taken over our lives. Parents, their highest goal is to make their kids happy. And I think we're doing them a disservice. Right, Clay? You're not happy at home, are you? See, I'm a good, I'm a good father. That's why. Um, you know, it's it's not the, uh, what God is doing is so much deeper than kind of our surface level. This is what makes me happy. Happiness is driving my life. There's something deeper with what it means to be blessed. And this list that Jesus gives, it's not a how-to. This isn't like a a, a, a virtue list that you get some badge that say, "Yep." Here it is, God. I completed them all. I'm in. Otherwise, you would be earning it. And it's all God is the one that brings the blessing. Right? And so it's not like you're supposed to be poor and sad and meek and peaceful to unlock these blessings. Jesus is doing way more than that. And what I find is it can be a slippery slope because there's so much in us that wants to control. And if we could just control, manipulate even our own self-confidence for our salvation, right? Or even if we could have salvation by our attitudes, by being able to check off the list, sometimes it, it bolsters us. And, and I don't think that 
works. In fact, I know it doesn't work. And on the other side, I've seen people to say, like, that's just not how I'm wired. That's just not me. And they'll walk away from Jesus and this teaching, or they feel such guilt and shame because I'm just not the peacemaker I should be, or I'm not, you know, perhaps God has blessed me with much. You know, I'm not poor. I can't do it. And so they, they can sometimes walk away, and I just want to yell, no, that's not what Jesus is doing in this passage. Jesus is turning over tables and showing people the kingdom of God and showing a way into the kingdom of God that wasn't something that we control. It was all about God bringing his grace to those who were willing to receive it. There's Next slide. Uh, you have to understand how Jesus taught. You have to understand how first century te- people taught because this is huge for unlocking, having the light bulbs go off in Scripture. Um, today, we teach for knowledge, right? I watch my kids. I have a freshman and sophomore, right? Here's the content. Here's what you need to know. Do all your homework, and then we're going to test you. Can you regurgitate back the content that you're supposed to know? So you take your notes, right? We busily write because we're, we're teaching to the head. The teachers back in Jesus' day and how Jesus taught, they taught for transformation. They taught for transformation. You see, what they wanted was their teaching to get into the heart, the soul, the spirit, not just the mind of the individual, because they wanted them to do something with it. They wanted their students or disciples, that was one who sat with a teacher, they would use these concrete examples or stories, sometimes called parables, to teach. Because they wanted to stick in a way that people say, I need to be like that. I need to change. Think about the Good Samaritan. Right? Think about the stories. He says, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, it's like, it's like a pearl of great worth. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven, like, he always used these examples and told these stories that you didn't have to write down because they would travel with you. Jesus would say, do you see this woman sitting over here? Do you see this building? Right? Jesus rooted his teaching in the concrete and in stories. So it would enter in the people and they would be able to remember it and recall it, not just for knowledge's sake, but so they could begin living in it. <clears throat> the other thing about Jesus' teaching is you have to understand what was core and central to Jesus. Um, and I just kind of made this up, but I think it's right. Uh, for me, there were three things. If you're going to understand Jesus, if you will remember these three things, it will open up his teaching and it will open up what he's doing in his life and ministry and the mission that he's calling us to. The first is Jesus preached... The gospel that Jesus preached was that the kingdom of heaven had come. If you go back, the very first words that Jesus pretty much say as he begins his public ministry is this. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You were walking this way, you were trusting in, you were believing this in life. He says, but I'm telling you, repent, turn the other way, because this is the way of my kingdom. And the way of my kingdom is through me, and I'm going to teach you what it's like, I'm going to show you what it's like, and I'm going to empower you to go live that way in the kingdom. In the Gospel of Mark, it says the same thing. Jesus went out. Remember what he told the disciples when he sent them out? He said, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Read the parables. Read Jesus is consumed with the kingdom of God. And when you live in the kingdom, when you live in God's will, when you live in God's rule, you find that there is life there. 
You find that there is salvation there. You find as you root yourself in him and that kingdom, it begins to flow through you. Your attitudes change. Your decisions change. Your life change. You start taking on the life of Jesus himself. The second thing. Jesus said, everything I'm going to teach you and show you are going to hang on two commands. This might be one of the big ones we'd put on the list. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said the second is like it. Love your neighbor. How? As yourself. So there's actually three kind of commands. And Jesus says all the law of the prophets. Everything that God has said, that is doing, everything that's about this kingdom that has now come in through me, He goes, love is at the core of it. And it's learning to love God, love others, and also rightly love yourself. Jesus' teaching touches all of those all the time. And so when we read even the Beatitudes, we need to have that lens. What What is this about God and others and myself that I'm being challenged to internalize, to take in? And the third thing is that Jesus said, follow me. It was his invitation over and over again. I'm going to preach the kingdom and show you the kingdom. The core of it is love with God, self, and others. You need to follow me into this way of life. That is what Jesus, who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. So if I could summarize where we're going to go in this series. Slideshow's over. Uh, It would be this verse that Dave shared with us earlier. Where it says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Remember those lists that we had at the beginning of this talk, all that's going on? Don't live like that. Repent, Jesus might be saying, and turn to the kingdom. He goes, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by changing your attitudes, by understanding things, maybe not just with your head, but with your heart. Then, then you will be able to learn what God's will is for you, the way of the kingdom. And the kingdom way is good, and it is pleasing, and it is perfect. As we journey in these weeks, I hope the light bulbs go off, you get inspired, and as you continue to read your Bibles, you're going to say, I know what's going on. Oh, wait, Jesus is talking about this. Oh, I see the kingdom of heaven there. And you're gonna, it's going to begin shaping you. So, are you ready to hear the first beatitude? You're like, finally, holy cow, how long are you going to talk before we actually get to our scripture passage? Uh, We're going to. Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 6, the Gospel of Luke, it's a mirror passage, and Luke states it this way. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The first people who make the list of being in the kingdom are the poor or the poor in spirit on Jesus' list. And I think we have to understand those two prongs because there's two things I think that Jesus is talking about and how Matthew and Luke record them. The first is that I think they are, Jesus is talking about the poor. There's something about poverty that has the ability or can have the ability to bring something out of you to clarify what's important of life, to strip you of the self-reliance because you just don't have that option. Now, Jesus isn't saying, because you're poor, you're going to get... I think there was something about the poor, some of the poor in the first century, and I imagine on that hillside, as Jesus said these words, he was looking at people who are finding themselves now in the kingdom who 
their whole life, we're told, they don't matter. And I want to describe who these people were, who the poor were that would have been around Jesus. In the first century, the poor had no voice. They were insignificant. They were very vulnerable and often taken advantage of. Uh, This group of poor, they trusted in God. In some ways, they had no other option, but they lived with a sense of desperation, not just for provision, but for justice to be done, for their for all that has happened to them to be made right. And they had great, great faith in God that he would deliver them, that he would redeem them, that he would make things right. They also had the band together. So not only did they look to God, they looked to each other because they needed each other for self-protection, to maintain hope, to show compassion and to comfort one another along the way. And many of the poorest of the poor, they they were called the Anoim, Uh, these folks went to the temple uh, all the time, many of them daily. And they would just pray and pray and pour their life and heart out before God. And they were praying not just for justice, but they were praying for the Messiah. They were praying for the day when God would bring in his kingdom, Rome would be out, and God would be back in charge of not just the whole land, but the world. It was this conquering king. And they were just praying for the Messiah to come because the Messiah would bring deliverance for them. It would bring revolution. And so we have these characters like Simeon and Anna who are at the temple when baby Jesus is brought to the temple. To, uh, and, and they were like, they, they realized they've seen it. The light bulb went off. God had broke into the world. And, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus' family probably was in this same group. And if you read their songs, if you read uh, their prayers of what they say, you can go to the Gospel of Luke and look at this. Their words are powerful. These are words of revolution. These are words of kingdom. These are the the words of God doing something new in their midst. And sometimes we make them all of these warm fuzzies like these were lightning bolts that they were saying. And they saw it in Jesus as the one who God had brought, the Messiah, that was going to redeem and usher in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, he had these just fully devoted followers of God seeking him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, banding together and praying that God's kingdom come. Jesus said, those folks who you've discounted, who are always in the way when you're trying to walk in the street, he goes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They've been seeking and now they have been found. By me, Jesus said. The bridge for us, as Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's that posture, it's that attitude of how you come before God that I think links us to this passage today. It's the posture of just honesty of who we are before God. It's confessing our own maybe self-reliance or sometimes self-righteousness. It's the need for him and the need for others in our life. It's that same longing to see God's kingdom come, to be filled, to fill this earth. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We are just bent for his kingdom to spread through every person and corner, inch of this world. It's having faith and trust like a child, like a child who would read us the scriptures, who just has that sense of hope and joy and love in them. Uh, before God and with others. It's 
It's what Jesus means when he's talking about being the poor in spirit. The reality is, we are in this room in the top 5% of the world's wealth. It doesn't seem like it, um, but all of us, every single one of us, I promise you, are in the top 5% of the world's wealth. Um, Which means, what do we do with a passage like this? Um, Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. In chapter 6, a few verses before that, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and everything else is going to be provided for you. See, if we're on the hillside with Jesus... As we're listening to him talk about the blessed, as he's teaching and he's looking around, maybe looking at you, I think the questions we need to ask ourselves as we begin our journey into the Beatitudes is this. Do I fall into that poor in spirit category? Is Jesus talking about me? Am I the kind of person that has been humbled and stripped of all of my self-reliance to where I look to God and his people as my first and highest priority does. Are we able to confess, Lord, I just desire you so much. I'm just, I'm laying myself vulnerable before you. Does your longing and trust in God alone shape your relationship with him, shape your relationships with others, even impact your own life? These are big questions, are they not? Can you feel the weight of being on the hillside with Jesus and he begins talking about blessed are those we can feel our we can feel it inside of us saying like am I one of them? But Jesus gives an invitation to follow me. He would end the Sermon on the Mount, this great teaching series in chapter seven, with these words. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, words of the kingdom, and puts them into practice, internalizes them, right? This is their repentance, like taking it in and living it out. He said, they're like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. It's on me, Jesus would say. It's on this kingdom that I'm ushering in. But the one who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, that's like the foolish man. He built his house on the sand. The same rains came and the streams rose. The winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Three chapters of scripture, Jesus is just pouring it out. Shockwaves, they were amazed. It says he taught as one who had authority. Not like the teachers of the law, not like the chattering that was going on in the culture and society and world around them. Jesus was different. He had power and he had authority. Friends, welcome to the blessings. Welcome to the Beatitudes. Welcome to the series that will challenge your attitudes and the world around you. And if, if you will hear these words, if you will take them into your heart, if you will respond to them, if you will allow God to change the way you think, You can build your life.
on where we're going these next few weeks. All I can say is, hold on, because this is going to be good. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we just give you thanks. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love, for his sacrifice. Thank you that he brought us into a new day, that the kingdom has come. We get to live in the day that so many generations longed for. So God, help us hear it. Help us internalize it. Expose our hearts. And may we, like the poor in spirit, just open ourselves fully to you with the desire to see your kingdom be built in us and that through us you could send us out with your mission of love for this world that you have, that all would come to know you, to find themselves in the kingdom with you and each other. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.